Our Father and our God, we thank you for life. We thank you, dear Father, for the high privilege of cooperating with you in the plan and the carrying out, in the carrying out of the plan of salvation. Father, as I attempt to deliver this message, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ to possess my mind, possess every faculty you've entrusted to me. Help me to speak directly, boldly, but compassionately, for I too am a sinner. Let my words be simple, dear God, that the truth from your throne may be grasped by everyone listening. Let it not only affect those present now, but those who will listen to the recorded version of this message and all other messages of this conference. I thank you for hearing this prayer. I offer it humbly in Jesus' name. Let God's people say amen and amen. Mark chapter 12, reading from verse 28. We read from the King James Version of the Bible. Mark 12, reading from verse 28. Mark is Gospel number two, the shortest of the four Gospels. Mark was not one of the twelve disciples. Neither was who? Of the four Gospel writers, two were not disciples that followed Christ. Who were they? Mark and Luke, yes. Have you found Mark chapter 12? Reading from what verse? 28. The Bible says, And one of the scribes came. And having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself. Now finish that verse with me now. Is what? More than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now this is a remarkable statement from the scribe. The scribe says there is something that is greater than all sacrifices put together. And he begins with whole burnt offerings which was the fundamental offering offered long before all the various uh, the varieties were offered in the wilderness when Cain and Abel came to worship, it is certain that the offering Abel offered was a burnt offering. The offering that Noah offered when he came out of the ark in Genesis 8, 20 and 21 was a burnt offering, specifically named. It was the offering prior to all the details of the sacrificial system given to the Israelites when they left Egypt. The scribe says, to do this, love God, love your neighbor more than yourself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, what was the reaction of Jesus to this conclusion by the scribe? Verse 34, the Bible says, And when Jesus saw that he answered how, discreetly, meaning wisely, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. 
Jesus agreed that there is something greater, broader, higher, and deeper than all sacrifices combined. Our subject for this evening, better than the best. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. The Apostle Paul writing, read verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 10, 5 and 6. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, what? Sacrifices and offerings thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou prepared me. Verse 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Who is this saying that? Listen to verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, who is that? Jesus. He saith. What does he say? Sacrifices and offerings thou wouldest not. In other words, that's not what you really want. Jesus said that. And that's based on Isaiah, uh, Psalm 40, verse 8, 7 and 8. That's where that quotation is, uh, is drawn from. Let's go to Psalm 51. Our subject, better than the best. Psalm 51. We read from verse 14. This is the prayer of David. He is confessing his terrible sin against Uriah and against Bathsheba. I recommend that psalm for your memorization. Do you have Psalm 51, 14 to 16? Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy what? Righteousness. O God, open thou my what? And my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Now, verse 16 with me nice and loud. For thou desirest not what? Else would I? Thou delightest not in? Burnt offering. Now this is David under the guidance of the Holy Ghost. David says, thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. Verse 17. The sacrifice of God is what? A broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. David is saying what God really wants is not sacrifice. And so the scribe said that, Jesus agreed. Jesus said that when he came into the world, David says that. Let's go to Isaiah 1, reading from verse 11. Isaiah 1, reading from verse 11, our subject, better than the best. I'll try to make this presentation short tonight. We've had a long day. Do you have that? What book? What chapter? What verse? The Bible says, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? Why do you bring these sacrifices? Now, who instituted the sacrificial system? It was Christ. At God's instruction. The same God is saying, why do you bring these sacrifices? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. 
I delight not in the blood of bullocks and of lambs or of he goats or goats. God is saying, that's not what I want. Now, at the dedication of Jesus Christ, his parents brought a sacrifice. What was the sacrifice they brought? What was it? Two turtle doves. Why? They were too poor to bring anything else. So Christ understood sacrifice and the central role it played in the life of the Israelites. In Psalm 50, we're told, Gather my sins unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Which is what God will say when he comes to claim the righteous at the second coming of his son. How then can the Bible say, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Let's try to understand that by going to 1 Samuel 15. Before we get into 1 Samuel 15, well, let's read verse 3 first. Samuel instructs Saul, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both what? Man and woman, what else? Infant and suckling, what else? Ox and sheep, camel and ass. That's wholesale destruction. Why would God require that? When the Israelites left Egypt, they were attacked by the Amalekites. Exodus 17. Remember that battle where the hands of Moses had to be held up? When his hands were up, the Israelites won. When they fell, the Israelites lost. So two stones were put on his hands. And, uh, and Ur and uh, somebody else was on either side to help him hold his hands up. God swore, I believe it's Exodus 17, 14, that he would blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. I will destroy this nation. But it took him several hundred years to do that. Can you guess why? Why did God not blot them out right after the battle? Why hundreds of years later? God loves to give people what? An opportunity, finish my words, to repent. Let me say that again. People believe God is forgetful. No, God delays to give people an opportunity to repent. After about 300 years or so, the Amalekites had not repented. The time had come. Their probation had run out. And God tells Saul through Samuel, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. By the way, is your time running out to do what's right? You know, God does not send you a fax, a text to tell you, son, daughter, you have one week to do what's right. All you know is that tonight the Holy Ghost will talk to you and is talking to you now. That's all you know. As Pastor Ramden said, today, today is always the best time to do what is right. Right now, today. Because God does not give forewarning when your probation is closed. And once it is closed, that's it. Once the Holy Ghost leaves, he never comes back. And so the probation of Amalek had closed. And Saul was sent to destroy the Amalekites. We know that Saul did not destroy all the Amalekites. He brought back Agag, the king. In uh, verse 10 of verse, uh, 1 Samuel, the Bible says, Then came the word of the Lord 
unto Samuel, saying, It repented me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he's turned back from falling after me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Verses 10 and 11. In verse 13, the Bible says, And Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said to Samuel, Blessed be thou of the Lord. Finish that verse. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. What does God say, I believe, in verse 10? What does he say in verse 10 about Saul? Tell me. He hath not performed my commandments. Is that 10 or 11? 11. In 13, Saul says, I have performed. Somebody is lying. Now, the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. So whenever there's a disagreement between God and a man, who's lying? Mm -hmm. When there's a disagreement between you and God regarding the girlfriend you have, who's lying? I didn't hear you. <laughs> you. Are you with me? Let God be true and all or every man a liar. God said, he hath not performed my commandments. Now, in the eyes of Saul, you see, Saul brought back one Amalekite out of an entire nation. Now, statistically, he obeyed. Let's say there were 50,000 Amalekites. Saul killed 49,999. Statistically, that's 50,000. You see, you round it off. Are you with me? God does not round off figures. God is not a statistician. God is a mathematician. For God, 10 is what? 10. For us, 10 is 9.9. .9. Am I telling the truth? Yes. For us, 9.9 .9 is 10. That's why people keep nine commandments and say, I am obeying God. Saul spared one man out of an entire nation and God complained bitterly, he hath not performed my commandments. He has disobeyed completely. Listen to me. You either obey God according to what he said or you've disobeyed him. When God told Naaman, dip seven times, if he had dipped 6.5, he would have left that river how? A leper. Perhaps a worse leper. Listen to me carefully. God requires exact obedience. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 479, paragraph 2, Ellen White writes, God shut Moses out of Canaan to teach a lesson that should never be forgotten, that he requires exact obedience. And so God complained, and Saul had a counter-complaint. In verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15, Samuel now admonishes Saul at the direction of God, our subject, better than the best. The Bible says, and Samuel said, and he's talking to Saul, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices 
as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Let's look at that microscopically. Let's read it again. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? We have two things that God reacts to. What are they? What are they? Come on, talk to me or I'll stay all night. Offerings and? Well, the same thing. Offerings and sacrifice, same thing. That's one. What's the other one? Obedience. Now, we have obedience. We have burnt offerings and sacrifices. In which one does God delight? Only obedience? Listen to the words. Hath the Lord as great? In which one does he delight? Both, but... But what? He delights more in one than in the other. Listen again. and Listen microscopically. Have the Lord as great. In other words, do you love mangosteen as much as you love durian? <laughs> Which means you love both, but one more than the other. Me, I hate durian. <laughs> and I'll hate it until Jesus comes. <laughs> Are you with me? Somebody say amen. amen. All right. <laughs> Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is what? Better than what? Sacrifice. Stop. Now, this is God speaking to Samuel, to Saul, through Samuel. God says, here's obedience, here's sacrifice. Which one is better? Obedience. Is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Let's pause and do a historical review. Let's review the history of obedience and the history of sacrifice. Let's take obedience. How far back does obedience go? Let's go to Psalm 111. We shall read verses 7 and 8. Psalm 111, verses 7 and 8. Our subject is better than the best. Do you have Psalm 111? Reading verses 7 and 8. Psalm 111. By the way, the Ellen White passage I promised to give you is Signs of the Times, April 22, 1903, paragraph 5. We were brought into existence because we were, cre we were needed. Or we were created because we were needed. I told you I'd give you that passage. Did I say that? Yes or no? All right. The reference is Signs of the Times, April 22, 1903, paragraph 5. You can get it after the message. All right? We are in Psalm what? What verse? The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast for how long? Forever and ever and are what? In truth and uprightness. His commandments, they stand fast forever and ever. Go to, stay in Psalm 119. Let's go to Psalm 119. We'll read verse 152. Psalm 119, verse 152. Our subject, better than the best. Don't forget to suggest that I slow down because we're having interpretation. Or uh, I should say translation. Perhaps the same thing. And we want to make life easy for our translator. All right. What chapter are we in in the book of Psalm? What verse? Concerning thy testimonies 
I have known of old, what? That thou hast founded them, what? Forever. What are the testimonies? Let's go to Exodus 31. Exodus 31. You have that? Book number two. You're a little slow in finding the books of the Bible. I hate to say it because this recording will go all over the world and people will know that in Malaysia people can't find the books of the Bible. <laughs> so hurry up. Do you have now Exodus chapter 31 verse 18? What does it say? And he gave unto Moses, keep reading, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, what? Two tables of? Two tables of? Finish the verse. Tables of? Written with the finger of? What are the testimonies? The Ten Commandments. Go to Exodus 25. We're in Exodus 31. We go to Exodus 25. We'll read verse 21. Do you have that? Read with me. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. Now finish the verse. And in the ark thou shalt put what? The testimony that I shall give thee. What is the testimony? The Ten Commandments. Now, listen to what Psalm 119 verse 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. God's law has always been there because the law is a reflection of his righteousness. Listen to Romans 8 verse 3 and verse 4. Well, go there with me quickly so you can read along with me. Romans 8. New Testament, verses 3 and 4. God bless those of you taking notes. You remind me of the Bereans. The Bible says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might what be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What does God want fulfilled in us? The righteousness of the law. That is what Christ fulfilled in his life. The righteousness of the life of Christ was the righteousness of the law. That's why you cannot separate Christ from the law. The law only has value as you can see Christ in it. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, your condition and mine, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, Christ is saying, look, if I took your flesh and lived above sin, that means you don't have to sin. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And all righteousness has its source in God. The law is a reflection of, of the righteousness of God, it has always been there. Now, where there's a law, there's obedience. Let's consider something else. Let's go to John 8. We'll read verse 29. Our subject, better than the best. My watch says 25 after 8. I began at about 5 to, I believe, or 8 o'clock. We have about 10 minutes more, I think. 15 at the most. Please don't panic. What book did I say? What chapter? What verse? 29. Read with me. He that hath sent me is with me. Who sent him? The Father. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always the things that please him. When was the Father with Jesus? 
I heard it. Say it again. Always. Jesus and the Father had never been separated until Calvary. Never. Now, we know from the Bible that the Son holds a subordinate position to the Father. Do you know what subordinate means? A lower position. Notice I said a lower position. Not a lower natural state. A lower position. He has always had that. So when Christ created, he created for the Father at the Father's request. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, or 1 to 3. We read 1 to 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So God requested creation. Jesus did it for the Father. In other words, at his request. Christ, I say, has always held a subordinate position to the Father. In other words, Christ has always obeyed the Father. From how far back? We can't measure. How far does obedience go? Way back. Before there was? Before there was? S. I N. What's that big word? Sin. Now, let's uh, go to Isaiah 66. Well, not Isaiah, not. Let's go to Matthew. It's much clearer. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, reading from verse 17. Our subject, better than the best. Jesus says, Think not. That I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you. Now you read it with me. Till what? Heaven and earth pass. One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now Jesus is saying heaven and earth has to pass away. Can pass away before the law is fulfilled or pass away. The law can pass away if heaven and earth passes away. Now will heaven and earth pass away? Will God create a new heaven and new earth? Yes, which means he destroys this sinful one. But we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. For how long? Forever. If we'll have heaven and earth forever, what will we also have forever? The law. Then obedience which began way back will continue how long? Can't measure it. Then the history of obedience takes us from eternity, finish my words, to eternity. Now, Let's look at the history of sacrifice. Which one does God prefer? Obedience. When the sacrifice, let's read Revelation 13, 8. You know it without looking. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, finish the verse, slain, finish the verse, from the foundation of the world, not the foundation of the universe. Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation. In other words, the the plan was made if man sins. This is the response. When Adam sinned, 
Coats were made from the skins of animals. Animals were killed. That was the first physical sacrifice on the earth. That was ages and ages and ages long before angel, after angels were made and all the heavenly beings. Ages and ages. The universe had been there for uncounted ages before Adam sinned. So that sacrifice has a short history. Will sacrifices go on forever? Why is a sacrifice necessary? Because of what? Sin. When Christ comes and there's no more sin, what will also end? Sacrifice. So the history of sacrifice is brief. It has almost a datable beginning. If you follow Bishop Usher, 4004 BC, when Adam came into existence. And it will end when Christ comes. For all eternity, no more sacrifices. So what we have is an endless reality called obedience. And a brief reality called sacrifice. Now listen to God. Speaking through Samuel. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. In other words, is God more concerned with something that's eternal or should he be concerned with something that's so brief? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Listen to me carefully. When the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice, better than which sacrifice? What did the scribe tell Jesus? That to love God with all the heart, the understanding, the soul, the strength, is, and to love his neighbor as himself, Mark 12, 33, is more than what? All whole burnt offerings and sacrifice, every single one. The burnt offering, the meal offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the th every single offering, the scribe says, is subordinate to the higher reality that is obedience, which is the expression of love. And I ask again, when the Bible says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, better than what sacrifice? All, including? 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 No, listen to me. Favor number three is think. To obey is better than sacrifice. Then which sacrifice? You said all, including the sacrifice of Christ. Now, what is the most remarkable thing that ever happened in the history of the universe, in your estimation? What's the most remarkable thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe? The coming of Christ as man to live and die and rise. Most remarkable thing. His Calvary is the most remarkable event in the history of the universe. God says, I know something better than that. Better than the best. And you say, Father, what's that? Obedience. You know why? The logic is simple. Patriarchs and Prophets, page uh, 363, paragraph 1. But had the law of God never been transgressed? 
there would have been no death and no need of a savior. Consequently, there would have been no need of sacrifices. It's simple. If Adam had obeyed, there would have been no need for Christ to die. In other words, the, this, the, the death of Christ was not a, a built-in necessity. It was arranged in case. Obedience is never in case. You can obey me in case you have nothing else to do. No, obedience is required. Has been, is, and always will be. Sacrifice is temporary. Revelation 22 verse 3 says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Now, if there is no more curse, what is the curse? Death. What's death resulting from? Sin. If there's no more curse, there's no more. Therefore, there's no need for sacrifice. But the Bible says, And it shall come to pass, that from one Sabbath to another, one new moon to another, shall all flesh come to do what? What commandment is that? Will there be obedience in the new world? Yes. Will we need a savior in the new world? Yes or no? No. Will we need a creator? Yes. Was Christ creator from way back? Yes. Is he creator now? Yes. Will we need him in the new world? Yes. Whenever, wherever there's a heaven and an earth, there needs to be a creator to maintain. When he comes back, right now he's a priest. That function will change the moment he exits the holy place. Takes off his priestly robes, puts on his crown, and comes back as John saw him in John Revelation 14, from verse 14 to 20. His role as priest will cease. On earth, he was a prophet, that ceased. He's a priest, that will cease. With his coming, his role as savior will cease. Well, it really will cease at the end of the thousand years when Christ destroys and uh, Azazel, meaning Satan, is destroyed, then everything is over. And we shall obey for all eternity from the heart. My brothers and sisters, the Bible says, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. I don't care what sacrifice you make for the church. If you are not an obedient person, you are on the wrong side of God. You can give one million ring it, but you're not obeying God in other areas. You are still offending God. God wants obedience. He wants it so badly that he writes the law where? In our hearts. In our hearts. Now, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34... Ye, a generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. In verse 35, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. The Bible teaches all that we do, say, and think comes from the heart. Whether it's a human being or God. The law came from God's heart. Christ writes the law. At the very source of everything we do, 
and everything we are. He writes the law right where sin begins, in the heart. Now, let's do some simple reasoning as I come to the conclusion. If everything a person does comes out of the heart, that's what the Bible teaches. And the only thing God puts in your heart is the law. What's the only thing God wants? Obedience. He does not write the Encyclopedia Britannica in your heart. He does not write the church manual in your heart. He does not write Robert's Rules of Order. He only writes the law. Nothing else. Which means all he wants is obedience to that which is in the heart. Out of, now he writes it in the heart, not the spleen. Or the liver. Or the kidney. Because the heart represents things done how. When it comes from the heart, how is it done? When you do something with your heart, how do you do it? Come on, talk to me. Don't break my heart tonight. <laughs> when your parents tell you, put your heart into it, what are they saying? Hmm? Do it how? With everything you've got, but also willingly. Something done from the heart is done joyfully. Whether it's righteousness or crime. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> if it come, there are people who commit crimes from the heart. In jail, out of jail, back to jail, out of jail, back to jail. It's in the heart. God puts the law in the heart and he says, that's what I want. Obedience, that's all he wants. Obedience is love in action. Not discussion. You know, obedience has benefits you can't measure. The Bible says, all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land. You keep these commandments, you live, you multiply, you go in, you possess the land. Listen to the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to serve them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that what? Hate me. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now just look at that last part of commandment too. There's, a, there's an imbalance, and we have to balance the equation. Listen again. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that... So what do we put over here? Hey, that's all we have. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that... What do we put over here? Love me, but there's something added. And so we have love, keep the commandments. How do we balance the equation over here? We only have hate. If love is keep the commandments, what would we need to put over here to balance hate? Disobey. That's how we hate God. Those that hate me, disobey me. How do we love God? You obey him. How do you hate God? You disobey him in church. This is serious business. A lot of people who think they're coming... God is coming to save them. God does not save anyone who hates him. 
And the expression of hatred is disobedience. The expression of love is obedience. Thank you, sister. I hope your boyfriend is an Adventist. If he isn't, you hate God in that act. Tonight, I want you to think, is there some area of my life where I hate God? How can I say that differently? Is there some area of my life where I am disobeying God? Think, don't say a word. In the words of Pastor Ramdon, what's the best time to confess that? Now, when God gave the commandments, did he have a version for young people? No? You didn't hear me. Is there a young version of the Ten Commandments? Is there an adolescent version of the Ten Commandments? Is there a version for 60-year-old people? Is there a version for divorced people? The Ten Commandments are for what ages? All. The Ten Commandments are for her, for me, for him. Is there a hell for young people that's a little less hot than the one for older people? Where you don't burn to death, you just get a scar? Is there such a thing? Where will the demons be destroyed? Come on, where will the demons be destroyed? In the fires of hell. Who else will be there? People who disobeyed God. Which means they're all demons. <laughs> there isn't a hell for young, a hell for old, a hell for middle age. And there isn't a version of the Ten Commandments for youth and one for old people. God just has a standard. And my question to you is, is there an area in your life where you are disobeying God? If the answer is yes, in your heart tonight, confess it, Father, I'm sorry. Give me the courage from above, the strength from the heart of Christ to put it away and to obey you. Just as Esau, not Esau, Saul, spared one man from an entire nation and God said that was what? That was what? Disobedience. One area of rebellion against God makes you entirely a disobedient person. Let me ask you this. Uh, there's a door right here, am I right? There's one back there. There's one back there. There's one right here. Let's assume there's one right behind here. Five doors. How many do you need to break down to get into this place? One. Let's say there's a cage on, and there's a lion, there are ten bars. How many do you have to move for the lion to get out? Maybe just one. Not all ten. How many commandments do you have to break to show disrespect for God? One. My question is, what is that one area in our lives tonight that makes us disrespectful church members? Going to church, returning a tithe, singing hymns. Let's confess it. Regardless of your age, confess it and try to understand the only way to put a smile on God's face, a broad smile that goes from east to west, is to do what he says. If Adam had done that, hmm, there would be no graveyards, no floods destroying homes in Malaysia.
No ISIS kidnapping women and selling them. No Boko Haram in northern Nigeria destroying villages, kidnapping women. No Abu Sayyaf, in a, which is just a few miles from somewhere in Malaysia, in a, what is it? Yeah, you just cross, yeah, mm -hmm, kidnap people, run back, and hold them for millions of dollars. There would be none of that. No corrupt politicians. No babies born dead. No murders, no jails, no prisons, no psychiatric institutions. No Ebola. All of that because of one thing. What's that word? Disobedience. Same which is disobedience. Tonight, let's say to God, Father, here is an area in my life where I've been rebellious. Forgive me. And Father, give me grace to conquer in that area. Is there someone who honestly identifies an area of rebellion? Keep your eye on that cross. See that man bleeding because of that rebellion. See him shedding or sweating great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Almost as if he died in that Garden of Gethsemane. By the way, he tasted death in that garden, not on the cross. On the cross he died. In the garden he tasted death. Why do I say that? The Bible says the dead know nothing. Do you know that? The dead know nothing. Christ could not experience anything if he was dead. In the Garden of Gethsemane, while he was alive, he tasted death. The only human being ever to taste death while still alive. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 2.9 that he should taste death for every man. I say again, Jesus tasted death while he was alive. Now that's suffering. You see, death is numbness. You feel nothing. But to be alive and experience death while you're living, that is agony. And otherwise says, when he came out of that garden, he had tasted the pangs of death for every man. Because of your area of rebellion and mine. He died, he suffered. Let us identify that area and say, Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And so I ask, is there an area in your life where you are knowingly, consciously, deliberately, intentionally, willfully, and purposefully disobeying God? And you want to say, Father, I'm sorry. If it applies to you, may I see your hand? If it applies, an area of rebellion in your life, keep your hand up. If it, stand up if you raised your hand. Do not get up if you didn't raise your hand. Those who raise your hand, stand up. I'm not calling all of you to stand up. I said, if you raised your hand. Church is not a play. We want to confess these areas of rebellion. God will forgive like that. In other words, you leave this room forgiven. Not just leave. Yes, you leave forgiven. The moment you say, I'm sorry from the heart, forgiven. That's the way God functions. God does not hold grudges. And he casts our sins into the depths of the sea, Micah 7, 19. We've stood. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. For 30 seconds, you pray. And you say, Father, forgive me. I mean that from my heart. Say, Father, forgive me for this area of stubbornness. Take that stubbornness out of me. 
and give me a heart that loves to obey. Let that be your prayer. Identify to God exactly what the area is. David said in Psalm 51, 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness. He specified the sin. Do that in 30 seconds, then I will pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We're praying to a holy God. Father in heaven, we thank you today, God, for your stubborn love for us. We thank you today, Father, for your mercy. Micah 7, 18 says, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. Dear God, may it please you tonight to be merciful to us. We have identified areas of rebellion, dear God. Rebellion put your son on the cross. Rebellion caused people to spit in his face, to punch him in the face, to stab him, to nail his hands that healed the sick, to nail his feet that traversed Galilee to bring relief to the suffering. They, they brutalized your son because of our rebellion. God in heaven, prick our hearts, pierce our hearts. Help us to understand that while you are a God of love, you will not idly allow your son's suffering to go in vain. For if we continue in our rebellion and disobedience in order to carry out our own will, one day, dear God, we will pay. Your word says, how shall we escape? if we neglect so great salvation. And so, Father, as we have prayed, forgive us. Put into our hearts a hatred for sin and a love for obedience, a love for righteousness. Say of us, as you said of Jesus in Hebrews 1.9, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Help us to say, as Jesus said in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yet thy law is within my heart. O Father, give us a heart that loves to obey, that finds our greatest joy in doing whatever you say. Bless every young man, every young lady, every person. When this message is listened to by recording, let it have its effect on those who listen. As we leave, dear God, let us leave with the confidence you do not lie, and so we have forgiven. Not because we feel forgiven, but because you do not lie. As we sleep tonight, Father, let us sleep with the confidence that all is well between you and us, so that if something happens to us during the night, all will be well. But Father, our preference is that you allow us to open our eyes in the morning and see a new day. If that is what happens, dear God, by your divine will, let us commit that day to your glory. So let the angels be posted at every home, in every room. Thank you for the joy of worshiping you, dear God. Thank you for the directness of your word and the conviction of your spirit. Go with us now, I pray, with thanksgiving, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Let God's people say, Amen and Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com.
www.ghostdiaries.org.